We are grateful to be able to have a day set aside where we can honor the sacrifice, the effort, the work that is involved in, in being a mother. We know that we have those who long to be mothers. We know we have those who uh, probably sometimes wish they weren't mothers. <laughs> but we rejoice in God's good plan for us. You know, as we were singing, I just thought of these verses. Oh, God, be my everything. Be my delight. Jesus, be my glory, my soul satisfied. And then my phone tripped out and I lost the verses. There they are. Be Jesus my glory, my soul satisfied. Oh God, be my everything. See, that's, that is how you will be happy in wherever you are at in life. Children, no children. Wayward children, good children. Whatever combination in between. Ladies, if you are finding your fulfillment in God, if He is your delight, though things may not be as you would want them to be, He can satisfy your soul. You can trust in His goodness and in His care for you. And I hope that that is where you will find yourself closer to that, gripping and holding on to Christ after our time together this morning. Because we, I hope to, by God's grace, encourage you from the Word. You know, let's say that you were one of those ambitious and fearless do-it-yourselfers and you decide you're going to build your own home. You don't know a whole lot about building homes, but hey, that's okay. You're a do-it-yourselfer. You've got YouTube. You'll figure it out. You have a pretty good idea, you know, of what is needed. Cement, lumber, nails, pipes, plumbing fixtures, electrical material, stuff like that. And and knowing this, would you just start cutting wood, hammering nails, stringing up some wires? Would you just fit a few pipes together and, and put a few electrical outlets in place and then say, there, that's a home. There's your house. Of course you wouldn't because you'd end up with something probably much different than than what you hoped for. See, in addition to all the building materials and the tools that you need, one thing is essential, and that is a blueprint. A blueprint is a plan. It shows you the design of what you're building and all the materials that you will need to make that plan become a reality. No one in their right mind would start building a home without first having a blueprint. And God has given us a blueprint for building our homes. And I'm not talking about the physical house, of course, but the relationships that God created and designed to make up a home. And while we can see the foolishness of building a house without a blueprint, many have simply jumped into building their homes with no idea of God's plan for the family. And the family that results is often much different than what you'd hoped for. See, God has given us just such a blueprint. He's given us a blueprint in many places, I would say, in Scripture. But we're going to focus on the blueprint that he's given us in Psalms 127 and 128. And with these two Psalms, when we put them together, we really have God's plan here for a satisfying 
and fulfilling home. So let's, let's read these two Psalms back to back. Psalm 127 and 128. Follow along uh, with me, please. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. So Psalm 127, it speaks about the foundation of the home is God who blesses. To which then Psalm 128 adds what God's blessings are based on. The fear of the Lord. And so these these psalms present the big picture the blueprint for how you will experience the blessing that God designed the family to be and how through the family you can taste the satisfaction that God wants those who live with a proper fear of him to have. It's the ideal. But we don't live in an ideal world, do we? We live in a world that is less than ideal. Because each of us are not what we should be. We don't do what we should do. And we desire things we shouldn't desire. And that means that your home, right? Either the one you came from or the one that you're in right now. It is probably already in some or many ways deviated from the ideal. Divorce, adultery, abuse, abandonment estrangement, waywardness. Some homes either don't have a dad or they have one who is indifferent or maybe even hostile to the gospel. And here's mom trying to provide spiritual training for her children. See, whatever your situation may be, if your home is less than ideal, please don't despair. Right? It doesn't mean that God won't bless you. God says, that he blesses those who fear him and who walk in his ways. And just because we can't totally follow the ideal, it doesn't mean that you scrap the plan. Now, while both of these psalms go together, I'm only going to focus on Psalm 127. Excuse me, 128. And what we see is that ideally, a godly home has a godly man at the head of it. And like a a rock, when you throw it into a still pond, it produces these ripples. See, when a godly man who fears the Lord is over the home, his influence ripples out. It ripples out to his wife, 
to his children and even outside of the home into the nation. And normally I, I would follow that progression to teach this psalm. But since Mother's Day comes before Father's Day in the calendar, I'm going to skip over the God-fearing man and we're going to go straight to verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. So that means, in effect, I'm preaching part two first. Guess when I'm going to preach part one. Father's Day. Mark your calendars, men. Now, in our culture, there's a variety of voices that are competing for your attention, ladies. Each one is wanting to tell you what you need in order to experience personal satisfaction in life. Well, I want to encourage you this Mother's Day, as well as every day, by looking at what the Bible says about the fruitful, fulfilled woman. That's the title of this sermon this morning. The Fruitful, Fulfilled Woman. Here's what I hope to show you. That the woman who makes pleasing God her goal will enjoy a fruitful, fulfilled life. The woman who makes pleasing God her goal will enjoy a fruitful, fulfilled life. Some homework for you, ladies, as a result of the sermon. There's two applications for you. So let me tell you what they are so that you can know where we're going. But I'm going to give them to you again as we go through the message. So first, your first homework is you need to appreciate God's picture of the fulfilled woman. You need to appreciate God's picture of the fulfilled woman. And then secondly, ladies, you need to establish the priorities that lead to fulfillment. Establish the priorities that lead to fulfillment. Just going to focus on three priorities. And these are the ones that I want you to examine and to be able to take before God. You maybe even talk about with your husband or those in your home and say, are these my priorities? Your relationship with God your ministry to your family, and the development of godly character and conduct. Now, much of what I focus on this morning and and am saying to you, I've gleaned it from the writings of a a man who's been a blessing to the church for many years, Dr. Wayne Mack. Um, And so he's been a great source of encouragement to me on many occasions, and and I want to pass it on to you. Uh, One caveat. I think it goes without saying that what, God says about how you can be fruitful and fulfilled as a woman. It's not going to align with what the world says that you need. But isn't that why you're here this morning? You know what the world is preaching to you. But you've come here this morning to hear what God has to say. So let's pray. Let's ask God to give us ears to hear what he's saying. Let's pray. Father... We come humbly before you. Perhaps that humility is produced by the various messes that we have made and the mistakes that we have, that we regret and the things that we can't undo. But we are so grateful to know that your blessing is upon the man and the woman who fear you, not upon the the people who have done it right or had all of the things line up for them. And so we look to you, our God, who is faithful to his promises. 
to teach and instruct and correct and train us in righteousness so that we can know the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the joy and the contentment that comes through a relationship with you in which we depend and look to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So a simile, you've heard of a simile. Some of you are like, I haven't heard of a simile since high school. A simile is a figure of speech that compares two things that have something in common and it uses the words like or as. So a good simile is able to draw out an emotion or an experience by using a comparison that is strong and memorable and it points to a clear purpose. They help you to better understand what's being compared by, by giving you a mental image. For example, you might describe someone who doesn't see very well as being as blind as a, a bat. You might describe your hands as being as cold as ice. You might describe someone who's scared as being as white as a ghost, a sheet. Oh, that's a good one too. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's room for both. That's a good one. So a simile, it's just a tool to make language more interesting and descriptive and creative and to communicate in, in hopefully an effective way. I'm sure there's some really messed up similes out there that we don't want to use. So when it comes to describing the woman in the family, God could have chosen a multitude of similes. As busy as a bee, as gentle as a lamb, strong as an ox, tough as nails. Wise as an owl, sweet as sugar. But God chose to describe the woman as a vine. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. And it's not just the wife in focus because then it talks about the children. So your wife, and we could insert in parentheses there, and your wife and the mother of your children shall be like a fruitful vine. So for a simile to be effective, we have to understand what's being compared. And so here's our first application. We need to appreciate God's picture of the fulfilled woman. Because you could easily, if I stop there and she'll, she'll be like a fruitful vine, and you're like, that doesn't really help me. So let's appreciate the picture that God has given us here of the fruitful woman, of the fulfilled woman. So the first aspect is to appreciate, to appreciate God's picture of the fulfilled woman is that she is as a vine. And so to our 20th century ears, comparing a woman to a vine, that's not too significant. But to someone living in the ancient Near East, the comparison was very meaningful, right? In the hot Middle Eastern climate, a vine was a blessing because of its capacity to produce something refreshing and nourishing for others. Not everyone could afford to have a vineyard. And so it's a symbol of prosperity, even of lavish enjoyment. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, God told Israel he was bringing them into, he calls it, quote, a good land. A land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything. And God gives a list of all the things that makes this land good. And one of them, he says, is it is a land of vines. Remember the king of Assyria, when he was attacking Jerusalem, he tried to entice the people of Israel to surrender to him by promising that if they surrendered, here's how he enticed them. He said, each will eat of his vine, eat of his own fig tree. God even referred to the nation of Israel as a luxuriant 
vine that he had planted. But really it was Jesus who showed us the significance of the vine by comparing it to himself. He did this in John 15 where he said, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And when we remember one of the applications of describing himself as the vine, it was that so that we would understand, right, that as branches, we can do nothing apart from him. And so this helps us to see him as the source of life. He's the ultimate vine. And so with the symbol of the vine, then, there is an association with life, abundance, refreshment, ministry. So don't miss the significance of what God is saying about the wife and the mother in the home by comparing them to the vine. The woman's ministry is vital and God's purpose for her is strategic to the prosperity, to the well-being of all who are in her home. Now, there are certainly seasons where a woman can feel like she has failed to measure up to what is expected of her as a wife and as a mother. That may be you this morning. You know, and in many cases, you know why that you're feeling that way? It's because you've learned unbiblical standards from somewhere besides God. But it's also true that every woman here has failed. You failed in many ways. You are not the perfect wife. You're not the perfect mother simply because you can't be. You're a sinner, right? If you're not a saint, and I don't think anyone, I mean, you might say to try to get in good with your mom that she's a saint, but your mom probably doesn't think she's a saint. And if you're not a saint, that means you're a sinner. There's only two choices. There's plenty of room to improve, isn't there? To grow, to change. But you are not just a sinner. You are a redeemed sinner if God has saved you. You're united to Christ. And therefore, you also share His life through the Spirit of God who indwells you. Your life, therefore, it has significance. It has potential. So as a wife, as a mother, as a grandmother, as an aspiring wife, as an aspiring mother... You are, by God's own depiction, you are like a vine and one through whom the Lord can and will work in significant and needful ways. See, as Christ is the ultimate vine to his people, supplying them with life and refreshment, ladies, your ministry in the home is similarly significant through you comes so much that every home absolutely needs. God made you a wife and made you a mother to be a source of blessing and life and encouragement and joy. And your presence in the home, it's symbolic of God's blessing upon the home. Without you, without your influence, the home simply would not be as good. It would be like a land without vines. Now, while you may doubt at times, and while your efforts may go unnoticed, the truth is that you are vital to your husband and you are vital to your children. You know, I've come across a weed in my backyard that operates like a vine. 
I, I, it may be a vine for all I know, but I, I suspect it's really just a weed. You know, from the root coming out of the ground, it has these four or five different little tendrils that just start to grow really fast, stretch out across the ground. I would often find it near one of the smaller trees uh, in my backyard. And by the time I saw it, its tendrils were usually about a quarter of the way up the trunk of the tree. And so when I pulled it up from the tree and pulled it out of the ground, those tendrils were like three feet long sometimes. And I have no doubt that if I left it alone, that it would just have continued to climb up the tree, more tendrils would grow, and, and eventually that little vine would kill the tree. So there are certainly vines, or there are at least vine-like plants and weeds, that never benefit anyone or anything. It may have added some pretty green color to what would otherwise be kind of a bare trunk, but it was never going to bear fruit. And it would use the tree simply to benefit itself at the expense of the health and even the life of the tree. So not all vines are beneficial. But what we want to appreciate about, appreciate about God's picture of the fulfilled woman is that she is more than just a vine. She is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine. Ladies, God has linked your fulfillment to his call to be a fruitful vine within the home in your role as wife and mother. Through you, God will bless your home in wonderful and needful ways. Fruitfulness, right? It pictures productivity, contribution, being industrious. One of the first things that the Bible records God saying to both man and woman is be fruitful. And multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. The woman was to be man's partner in exercising dominion over the earth. You know, God shows ways, God, he showed ways that they were to be fruitful. For the woman, what he shows her in chapter 2 is that he made her to be a suitable helper to the man. He, the Lord God said in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Now, again, my little caveat at the beginning. This is going to differ from what the Lord tells you. And how sad, how sad that is that so many have believed the lie that to be a helper in any way suggests inferiority. First of all, just the word for helper itself, it is often coupled together with a word that is translated corresponding to, suitable, right? God made the woman to be the very helper that the man needs to accomplish that which God gives him to do. The idea is that the man cannot accomplish these things on his own. He's insufficient without her. She completes him. She provides what he doesn't have. Perspective. Wisdom. Knowledge, skill, tact, right? When she, what she adds is equally important. And it's only together do they make the team that's able to, to accomplish what God intends to do through them. But what should put to rest any idea that this term helper suggests inferiority is because the same word is often used to do in relation to God in Scripture. One reference is Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? Oh, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There is no better helper 
than the Lord himself. Because of who and what God is, we need him. And because of who and what God made the woman to be, the woman is the very helper that the man needs to fulfill all that God has called him to do in the world, in the church, and in the home. Now, with that in mind, in what way is a woman to be fruitful? The Bible names a fruit in particular that we should all desire, and that is, of course, the fruit of the Spirit. There's no doubt that there's nothing better to find in a helpmate than the spirit, than spirit-produced love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. See, when His fruit, when the Spirit's fruit is evidenced in your life, ladies, others are seeing the power and the glory of God manifested in your life. And this helps you to understand something important here, ladies. Your fruitfulness as a woman, it is not primarily about what you are able to do. It's about who you are. What your family needs is not a more productive wife and mother as, as much as a woman who is what they need is a, a woman who is growing in godly character. In fact, your conduct as a Christian is actually rooted in your character as a Christian. And the important thing for you to grasp is that the more yielded you are to the Spirit of God, the greater the impact that you will have for God in your home and upon your children and the greater helper you will be to your husband. And this is exactly what Peter says to the wives in chapter 3. Turn with, keep your finger here, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Follow along with me as I read verses 1 through 5. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word, by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands. So how are you going to be most fruitful in your home, ladies? What does your family need most from you? More than anything else, your husband, your children, they need to see Christ in you. They need you to show them Christ in you. The home, it needs to be managed. The meals, they, they need to be made. The house, it needs to be cleaned. The errands, they need to be run. And on and on and on goes the list. What you must never lose sight of, ladies, is that in all of these things that need to be done, it always comes back to your walk with God. Your greatest contribution to your home is the daily demonstration of Christ that comes through your life. 
God fulfills the woman who makes her walk with God a priority for he makes her fruitful in the home. And we're going to talk about that more here when we look at these priorities a little more closely. But not only is a woman to be a fruitful vine in the home, but she is to be a faithful vine. Again, back to Psalm 128. Uh, The psalmist here says of the wife that she shall be a fruitful vine within your house. And the word here for within, it speaks to the innermost part. It stands in stark contrast, let's say, to the promiscuous woman that we read about in Proverbs 7, verse 11, of whom it says she's boisterous, she's rebellious. It says her feet do not remain at home. So God fulfills the woman who is committed to her family seen by the fact that she is within the home. In Paul's words in Titus 2, he calls her a worker at home. And so fruitfulness involves, it involves being industrious, and that is to be especially so within the home. So let's hear again more in full here what Paul says in Titus chapter 2 about this. He says, this is Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So God's instruction is that the younger women are to be homemakers involved in domestic duties. And so their focus is to be on the home and to be productive in the home. So, ladies, God has linked your fulfillment to his call to be a faithful vine within the home in your role as wife and mother. This is God's good design for the home and for the family And we should only deviate from it after much prayer and wise consideration. And again, my caveat, the world has lied to you. Saying that your fulfillment is found in seeking a career outside the home. God calls you to be faithful within your home and to demonstrate commitment to your home after your career and above the desire for a higher standard of living that comes with two incomes. Now, this can be hard to hear. I understand, especially if things have not turned out for your family as you would have liked. You're not living the ideal. So let's be clear. Let's be clear. The Bible does not teach that the woman's place is in the home. What it requires is that the home be her priority. But she is not at all limited to the home. And so that means in some cases, working outside the home, it may in fact be the best way to provide what is needed to make ends meet. In other cases, there simply may be no choice. Simply may be the best choice, all things considered. This is the the best way when we lay everything out before us. Now, what's always best is that we align ourselves with what God does say And we take careful note of what God does not say. And then we always proceed with much prayer for wisdom. God's design for the home and family for the uh, and, and the one that will lead to being a fruitful and fulfilled woman is where the woman's primary focus is on the managing of the home, the nurturing of children, caring for them with great tenderness, 
Right? Paul, when he talks about how he proved to be gentle among you, he says, as a nursing mother. He uses a simile. I was like a nursing mother who tenderly cares for her own children. That's the picture of mom. Tender and caring. And men, it is your duty. Men, it is your duty to make sure your wives know how valuable they are in what they do in the home. Now, in due time, they may find other valuable ways to contribute to the family outside the home. But when the family is young, do all you can to allow her primary focus to be on the home. That is where she will be most fulfilled and most fruitful. And that is where you men and your children will be most blessed. So, I hope you can appreciate God's picture of the fulfilled woman as fruitful and a faithful vine within the home. Now, there's one passage in in particular that takes this broad understanding here of a fruitful vine and provides us with, with greater clarity and insight. And that is found in Proverbs 31. And I don't hear a collective groan, and I'm glad for that. I know that this is often the passage that we turn to, but that's because it is so indeed helpful. Because here we find an example for for all women who desire to model their family after God's design. And it's there that we find a woman who is respected greatly by her husband and by her children. They, They can't contain their praise for her or for how her life has blessed theirs. And because of her godly character, her influence, it reaches beyond the home. It reaches out into the world around her. And she's recognized, she's respected, she's appreciated by everyone who knows her. Because she makes life better for others wherever she goes. Now, will you be able to do all that we find here in Proverbs 31, ladies? No, no, not likely. Some things described there, well, they they simply don't describe life as we know it today. She also seemed to have possessed a great degree of wealth, or at least above average, that maybe you're not going to have in this life, or at least for a while. But the general principles that we find here, they're universally applicable because they arise from her godly character and conduct, which is why they have provided generation after generation after generation of women an example of godly conduct, an example of the type of wife and mother that God is calling all women to be. So if you desire to pursue the picture that God has given us of a fulfilled woman in Psalm 128, then you'll need to establish in your life the priorities that lead to fulfillment. So this is our second application. Establish the priorities that lead to fulfillment. And I want to give you three of them here, just picking them out of Proverbs 31. So let's turn there. We're there already, if you haven't turned. So we're not going to read through the whole passage. I'm just going to pick a few out. The first priority that will lead to your fulfillment, ladies, it must be your relationship with God. Your relationship with God. Jump down to verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. 
Now, this is the same basis for blessing as we saw for the man in Psalm 128, right? Fear of the Lord. The secret to being fruitful and fulfilled is not found in the strength of her will. It's not found in her physical beauty, her dynamic personality, her natural talents, her household income, her upbringing, or her exceptional husband and children. It's not tied to any of that. Everything that is admirable in her life, it flows from her vital and deep relationship with God. He is at the center of everything that she is and does, and he is her everything, her motivation, her strength, her hope, her counselor. Her fear of the Lord is not a fear of judgment of or eternal death. The, that fear, that That kind of fear, it belongs rightly to the unbeliever. Her fear is really a reverence for the true and living God. And you can hear this reverence in the conclusion about uh, that that the author of Hebrew comes of the book of Hebrews comes to in chapter 12. You can turn there, chapter 12, 28, or you can just listen here. It says, therefore, this is this is the conclusion that helps us to see what the fear of the Lord is. Since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, well, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable servants with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And, and this, this right and true understanding that God is holy, He's just, He's righteous, that's the basis for the wisdom by which we live in Deuteronomy 10. I think this also is helpful to understand the fear of the Lord. Deuteronomy 10, it says, now, Israel, what does the Lord, your God require from you, but to fear the Lord, your God, to walk in all his ways and love him and to serve the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, you shall fear the Lord, your God, you shall serve him and cling to him. And you shall swear by his name. He is your praise. And he is your God who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. See, she knows that she's been spared God's judgment from sin. But here's what she also knows. The godly woman who fears the Lord knows that God hates sin. And so she rightly fears his discipline and desires to live in a way that pleases him. We all understand this inherently. Most of us knew we did not want to cross our fathers. Not because they're going to pull out a knife and kill us or a gun and shoot us. Because they're going to discipline us. And so that kept us in line. And that's a faint image of what we see here. She's not scared of God, but she has no reason to be. She knows nothing can ever separate her from his love and that he will never, ever under any circumstances forsake her. Oh, but but her fear and her reverence of God, it is born of this ever growing understanding of his majesty, of his power, of his absolute sovereignty. And this ever increasing awareness of God's true nature, it compels her. To respect him. To honor him. 
to obey Him, to serve Him, submit to His discipline, and worship Him in awe. This fear, it's the result of a disciplined pursuit after God. It doesn't come naturally. The opposite comes naturally. But as she begins to pursue God, this understanding of what he's like begins to grow and it produces this fear within her. She's developed the godly habits of communing with God in the word and in prayer. She she has made the corporate gathering together of God's people. It's a non-negotiable in her life. She's sought out godly and wise women who've walked faithfully with the Lord to teach her how to love her husband, how to love her children, how to manage her home. She's filled the spare moments in her day with the, God, with the wisdom of additional godly teachers in the form of solid books and worthy podcasts. Right? You get the picture, right? She's filling her life with God and godly influences and her fruitfulness and her fulfillment. It's not just because she's lucky. It's not just because she's been blessed with things that you don't have. No, the source of her joy and her contentment and her blessing is her deep relationship with God. And then out of a right orientation towards God comes the second priority. Your ministry to your family. Your ministry to your family. And again, Psalm 128, it categorizes her fruitfulness as being within the home. In Proverbs 31, it emphasizes that this woman, she works hard at taking excellent care of her family. They are her number one ministry. Regardless of what other things she may do elsewhere, right? Her family is not neglected. And as a result, verse 11 says in Proverbs 31, it says the heart of her husband trusts her. He knows that she's committed to him. And he trusts her without reservation. He knows that whatever else may happen to him in the world, he can come home to a wife whose heart is to help him, support him, encourage him, bless him, no matter what. And the word here for for trusts, the heart of her husband trusts in her. It has the idea of, of leaning upon. He can lean upon her. He can count on her to be the helpmate that God made her to be for him. And when he's weary and when he's discouraged, she's going to listen. When he's afraid, she's going to comfort and encourage. When when he has problems, she's going to listen and advise. When he sins even against her, she'll forgive. She knows him as no other. Even his problems, his regrets, his weaknesses, his failures, and yet never, ever ridicules him or rejects him for having these things. He can count on her to be lovingly honest with him and can depend on her to pray for him as he faces challenges and responsibilities of life. She's a fountain of refreshment that he can always drink from. She enriches and excites his life. She never delights in hurting him, but is always ready to lend him the assistance that he needs. With her as his wife, verse 11, he will have no lack of gain. And because of her companionship, verse 23, he's known in the gates, meaning he's admired, he's respected by those who know him because of her influence in his life. 
because, verse 12, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life, not just when he treats her as she wants to be treated, right? He can't help but praise her worth to him, verse 28. Basically, with her at his side, he can conquer the world. Ladies, are you oriented towards your husband this way? Does your husband value you above all other women in the world? Now, if if you wonder about this, perhaps the first place that you should look is not scornfully at your husband, but in the mirror. Are you pursuing your own interests over that of your husband or your family? If you're being a fruitful vine in the home, you will see the same results that we see here of this woman in Proverbs 31. Your husband will praise you. Your children will rise up and bless you. Now, they won't be saying that. They wouldn't be saying that here in Proverbs 31. The husband wouldn't be praising his wife. The children wouldn't be rising up and bless her if she were grumpy grumpy, and moody and bitter and resentful and manipulative. No, it's not because they're impressed. Excuse me. It's because they are impressed and blessed by her godliness as seen in her character and her conduct and her devotion to them as a family. Are you being a fruitful vine in your home by being sensitive, trustworthy, available to them? Your fulfillment, ladies, it's found by making your ministry to your family your priority. Now, the third and final priority that leads to fruitfulness and fulfillment We could separate these two, but they are so closely linked that they really go together. The development of godly character and conduct. You make it your priority to develop godly character and conduct. Verse 10 of Proverbs 31 says to the woman, it calls her an excellent wife. And this could rightly be translated as it is in other versions, a wife of noble character. Her character, it is a consequence of her commitment to and her relationship with God. And you see it as you read through this passage. You see it in the exemplary attitudes and actions that are attributed to her in this passage. She's unselfish. She's generous and caring. She's concerned with her family, yes, but she's also concerned with those who even work for her. She's concerned for the poor and for the needy. She's disciplined. She can get up early. She can work late into the night. She cares for her appearance. She keeps herself physically fit. She's contented. She's confident. She finds joy in what she does. She's busy, but she's not too busy to put her arms around her children and to listen to them and to tickle them and to snuggle with them. She knows how to smile, how to laugh. She's hopeful. Her trust is is in God, and that makes her outlook on the future a positive one. She's fun to be with. She can relax, and she can work hard. She likes people. She seeks to encourage them. And when she opens her mouth, both wisdom and kindness are on her lips. And all these things, they make her absolutely beautiful to those who know her regardless of how physically beautiful she may think she is. Do not just set this aside by saying, well, that's not me. 
you're setting aside God's design. And it's linked to your relationship with him. It's not linked to you. You don't have to grit your teeth and muster these things up. You have to make your relationship with God your priority. You have to make the ministry of your family your priority. And you have to make the development of godly character and conduct your priority. And these things will be born in you. Not perfectly, not always consistently, but there will be growth in all of these areas. Ladies, you may feel like this woman that we're talking about here in Psalm 128 and Psalm 31. This is unrealistic. But as I said, it's only because you're depending upon yourself to develop this kind of life. It's so easy to look at your past, your present, your resources, your marriage, your children, and just say, no no way. But I want to remind you, ladies, that your sufficiency is not going to be found in yourself. It's going to be found in God. So that is where you begin. You begin with him. You start anew with him. You make him your priority. You make pleasing him your goal. Right? For out of God and out of your relationship with him will come the fruitful and fulfilled life that you long for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask for your blessing upon our ladies. Not that you would drop things into their lap but that they would cling to you. They would see you as their greatest treasure. And out of even a willingness to sell everything that they have to gain this treasure, in doing so, they know that they have found life. They have found joy. And everything else that they may lack in life, it doesn't matter. They have the treasure of Christ. Encourage our ladies with this truth. Let this truth sustain them, even when they're weary, even when all they can think of doing is closing their eyes, hitting the pillow. Let their trailing thoughts before sleep be, I have Christ. This day was hard, but I have Christ. And may that encourage them to start anew tomorrow. We thank you, Lord, for how you have blessed us in our homes through our mothers and through our wives. We pray that you will just continue to do that and you'll give those who long for this what they desire. But our trust is always in you. You know what you're doing and you withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. We give you thanks for this in Christ's name. Amen.